everyone to the latest episode of On Retail. This time we'll be joined by CEO of Rowing Blazer, Jack Carlson. And it's me, Georgia, Associate Consultant here at BGSS, and Jake. Hello. Yeah, I'm really excited to speak to Jack today. Um, we decided to speak to Jack and we're really glad he joined us because Rowing Blazers was part of the New York store report that we put together in January. We were really surprised by the uh, pop-up that Rowing Blazers offered and we were uh, amazed to see the eclectic mix of, of merchandise in there and the really interesting clubhouse setup that, that Jack names it. So uh, welcome, Jack, and, and thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Great stuff. So um, we'll jump straight in, Jack. Obviously, um, we've done a bit of bit of homework on you before our interview. Um, quite a diverse background, I'd say. So a PhD in archaeology, uh, uh, years in the US rowing team and a, and a bronze medal at the World Championships to, to writing a book and now uh, kind of running a successful retailer. So, you know, take, take us back and, and give, us the, give us the story behind Jack Carlson and uh, yeah, fill us in. Yeah, it's been it's been a bit of an adventure. Uh, yeah. I I don't come from any kind of traditional uh, sort of fashion background, but I'd always been interested in in clothing and menswear and fashion. Um, I think you know I have done quite a few sort of diverse things, but you can find some themes running running through those. I I worked for a brief time uh, at the College of Arms in London, which is the uh, it's like the government institution that designs coats of arms, uh, it's, and it still it still exists today. Um, wow. So I've always been very interested in um, in symbols, in um, yeah, and also in sort of like the way that identity, belonging, power are kind of uh, displayed through uh, yeah through symbols, through colors, through clothing. Um, uh, I wrote my my dissertation uh, about yeah kind of symbols of power um, in ancient Rome and in ancient China. Um, a lot of people thought I was writing my dissertation about blazers because I spent most <laughs> of my time uh, when I was meant to be studying, kind of working on working on the book growing blazers that really laid the foundation for the brand. And that book. Um, kind of explored the tradition of the blazer in the sport of rowing. So for anybody who doesn't know, the sport of rowing has this uh, tradition whereby every club, every university, college, uh, national team, they all have a blazer, and they're often sort of quirky, uh, eccentric stories related to the blazer, myths, rituals, weird traditions. Um, and... These all come out at Henley Royal Regatta and at, at sort of club dinners at the boat race um, uh, in London. And uh, the tradition really hasn't gone away. And I decided to, yeah, to to make sort of a coffee table book documenting these traditions. And a lot of them had never put down in uh, had never been put down to writing before. They had just kind of been orally passed down within the clubs. So it was sort of like an anthropological study of this uh, this tradition in the sport. Um, I worked on the book part-time for about four years. The book came out um, a few years ago, and I, I launched the book with Ralph Lauren, and that was kind of my, my introduction into this world of clothing and apparel. 
sort of more formally, and that kind of planted the seeds um, for starting the brand, which today is is Rowing Blazers. Yeah, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, people then kind of saw you as, as the go-to man for Rowing Blazers and were kind of asking you where they could get them, and, and, and that's how that kind of inspired the, the kind of retail arm. Is that right? Yeah, so it, it was funny. Like um, The book came out right around a time, um, or, or probably right after, a lot of the traditional tailors that were making blazers for these rowing clubs, um, either like, I don't want to say they went out of business, but in many cases, like, it would just be, it was just like a guy, not not like a whole company, but it was just like one guy who was a tailor who made the blazers for like Cambridge University for years and years and years. And when he retired, it was like, that was it. There wasn't like a whole other big yeah. organization around him. And uh, so when the book came out, um, of course, the book was a celebration of hundreds and hundreds of clubs um, and, and teams and other institutions and their blazers from all over the world, the UK, New Zealand, uh, US, Netherlands, Argentina, Germany, all, all over the place. Um, and uh, yeah, and I realized that a lot of the clubs, maybe they hadn't actually ordered blazers in several years or members of the club were wearing kind of like blazers that uh, had been passed down from alumni or in some cases were buying suit jackets and having someone kind of like amateurishly so trim and a, and a badge onto it. So there was this real kind of gap in, in the market and people, people, yeah, started reaching out and saying, can you help us make blazers? And for the first couple of years of this happening, I had to just say, no, no, actually. Um, I know, like, here are a couple of people who are kind of doing this. Um, but, yeah, there was this real kind of gap in the market. And yeah. uh, after my, yeah, after I finished my studies and I was on the national team, I kind of made it my side project to start a business that was making proper blazers um, for, for many of these rowing clubs. and. Some of our first customers were Leander Club in the, US, yeah. and, uh, in the UK. It's one of the most prestigious rowing clubs in the world. Um, the U.S. national team, the New York Athletic Club, um, very old and prestigious club in the U.S. And, yeah, I think you know now we're making blazers for most of the major rowing clubs uh, in the world. And then, of course, we also have a, a whole retail collection, and blazers are a big part of that. So um, let's go back to your store, your pop-up store in New York, uh, which was we were super impressed when we visited. Um, what was the strategy? Oh my gosh, thank you. Uh, That's so nice of you. <laughs> yeah, we was like we were super impressed, and um, we really want to know more about the strategy behind the pop-up store and what we were thinking uh, when you created it. Yeah. So from the beginning, we thought. Um, you know, we thought of Rowing Blazers, and I mean, my, my sort of business partners and I and the rest of the team at Rowing Blazers, we thought of the brand primarily as an e-commerce direct-to-consumer brand, and that's how we launched in uh, in the middle of 2017. Um, and, and our primary categories are blazers, rugby shirts, Oxford shirts, polo shirts, um, hats, and ties. Uh and we we sort of had it in our head from the beginning to experiment with a brick and mortar pop up, 
And so we did our first pop-up um, in a space that you wouldn't have seen, but a much smaller space in New York City, in that neighborhood, actually, um, on Rivington Street mm. um, in October of 2017. And we were meant to be there for a week. The people who had the pop-up space after us, because it was kind of a space that's just used for pop-up spaces, mm -hmm. the people who, who had the space after us dropped out uh, actually, and so the landlord was like, well, do you want it for another week? I said, yes. So we ended up being there for two weeks. Um, but that was, a that was like a, a really interesting and really successful experience for us. Um, it was a, it was a small space, but we, we did a lot of business. And what was most, uh, interesting to me was to see the effect that it had on our online business. So just in those two weeks, of course, we were doing, you know, we were doing business in the store. But what was also really amazing is you could literally just, you know, graph, like what we we're doing in terms of our online business also jumped way up for those two weeks. And, you know, if you think about it, it makes sense. There's uh, people in the store who maybe don't buy something in the store, but then will go home and buy it online later. Are people coming in the store, of course, taking the store and posting it, posting them on Instagram, and their friends will then see that, and their friends will then hear about the brand and visit the site and go shopping. So, you know, it, it, it kind of makes sense, but it was really cool to see that kind of reflected in the actual data, you know, as a bit of an experiment. Definitely, yeah. I think uh, I think that's actually that's actually very similar to the kind of UK market. And actually, uh, I know physical retail is definitely struggling over here. But but what you do see is when when stores close, actually the online sales in that kind of region also are affected. So yeah, it's definitely a commonality and something we've seen in the UK as well. Yeah, no, I, I, it, it makes sense, and people have written, you know, it was it was cool to see it kind of like pr proven out yeah. um, in our in our little. The other thing that was really cool um, at this at this original pop up, uh, we opened I think at 11 a.m. on a Wednesday, um, and we were a very small team, especially back then. I remember, like my girlfriend and I, a few other people were like putting the finishing touches on the shop. It's like 10:45. We're getting ready to open, and uh, and we noticed there's like a kind of a crowd of people gathering outside the store, like a line, like a queue of people. Um, and we thought, oh, that's, that's funny. Like <laughs> there's an ice cream store next door to the shop, by the way. And we assume that these people are waiting for the ice cream store to open. We're like, that's funny. Like, you know, it's October. It's like a Wednesday at 11 a.m. Like people are queuing up for ice cream, but like, well, I guess it's like good ice cream. It makes sense. You know? Um, like we didn't think that these people were like waiting to come into our store, but then we opened the door and they all came in. And then we're like, "Oh my gosh, these people were waiting to come in." And it's not like a queue of hundreds of people like you would be outside of Supreme, but still, like for a small brand that's like blazers and rugby shirts, um, it was uh, yeah, that, that was definitely kind of like a moment for us. Yeah, hundred um, percent. And it was a moment of of realizing that like. There were actually, you know, a lot of like a lot of people who followed us on Instagram and who actually were really excited about the brand. And yeah, that was just kind of a cool thing. One of one of the people 
uh, waiting in the queue was uh, the rapper Vic Mensa. Um, uh, it was just like one of those bizarre things. Like I was like, did someone know him? Did some? Is he have like a connection with someone? No one knew him. He just followed us on Instagram wow. and like wanted to come buy some stuff. Um, amazing. So, so the graphic designer Chip Kid, who's a who's a really amazing. He designs book covers, like some of the most famous book covers ever. He was like one of our first customers as well. Um, so it was like a real, yeah, like cross-section of different sort of cool people. And that was great as well. It was just like being able to see who our customer is and how, you know, how sort of eclectic, how diverse our customers are. That that was a really cool thing to come out of that. And, yeah, the whole experience just was really positive and made us start to think about – doing a longer term pop-up definitely yeah uh, so we so 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 take uh, us into the the kind of uh the the mind of when you uh we obviously spoke around how the stores the the clubhouse and we we called out the table tennis table and the coke machine and and the smiths playing and and all that kind of stuff and so take us into the kind of thinking behind putting that clubhouse together and you know really wanting to design you know your next successful pop-up yeah so uh we had been looking for a space for for several months and i remember when our sort of real estate agent took us into the space we ended and i i didn't even want to go inside because i was just like just forget it greg you know this is way too big it's going to be way too expensive we don't even have enough stuff to fill this space um but you know i did go inside and the more i thought about it the more i looked at it the more i thought you know this could actually be really really cool um, the clubhouse as kind of a sort of theme and name and so on for the space, uh, yeah, it just kind of makes sense with the brand. The brand is all about two things. It's all about uh, authentic. It's also about being very – so it's really important to me um, that the that the space reflect that. You know, like on the one hand, our, our brand, our company – we make the Blazers for all of these like very prestigious rowing clubs, rugby clubs, social clubs, etc. But the idea behind the brand, the aesthetic that we put out there, if you look at any of our, you know, lookbooks, if you follow us on social media, it's not stuffy. It's not meant to look like, you know, you're in a country club from another, you know, era or a wearable, inclusive, very welcoming. So the idea is kind of like clubhouse. That is that is not stuffy and that's for everyone. That has some of those. I don't know. That has some of the kind of nice and fun aspects of, you know, the idea of like that you belong to a club and you can come into a space and you can relax and so on. Yeah. But um. But yeah, without any of the stuffiness. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, and I some think some elements of it, like like the table, or a factor of like of that vibe. But also of the fact that it's like, wow, this space is really big. We need, we need some big things <laughs> to take up space in there. Yeah, and that's like the Smiths playing. Like we keep the we keep the playlist like pretty eclectic. Um, and and again, like that's just part of the whole vibe of the brand. I think like it's funny because I think some people do come in and and think that we're going to be playing like you know the band of the Grenadiers. <laughs> Royal Regatta, you know, 1983. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that 
you know, it'll it'll all be very sort of like take itself very seriously. Mm. But it's it's obviously not that. We have a whole other group of people who who thinks of the brand as like as a street brand. Um, do you have a favorite store in London or in Oxford that you would recommend? Yeah. So I did. I lived in England both when I was a little kid. Uh, I lived in Hampstead for for a little while. Oh, wow. And then yeah, as an adult, um, when I was in grad school, I lived in uh, uh, I lived in Oxford for yeah for like six and a half years, something like that. Um, the shop, a shop that I really really like, um, is a vintage shop actually. Uh, it's called Hornets in Kensington. Um, they have some really amazing vintage, mostly vintage menswear accessories and so mm-hmm. on. But you can just find some incredible stuff. It's really, really well curated. Um, there are a lot of vintage rowing blazers in there, actually. Oh, wow. Um, but, like, uh, yeah, just amazing, amazing stuff. And it's, I mean, it's really special for me as an American because you don't have a place like that in the U.S. at all. And, uh, yeah, I actually don't think there's really any, any place like that in the world. Um, wow. Nice. Well, there's your Saturday morning sorted, Georgia. Yeah, Hornets exactly. In Kensington. That's tomorrow. <laughs> Great. So uh, just one final question, Jack, before we, before we wrap up. Um, you kind of mentioned it there and you touched on the kind of authenticity of your brand. What kind of one other key piece of advice would you give to someone who's kind of looking to set up a brand like you have? What's the real standout thing that you always try and kind of live to? I mean, <laughs> there are a lot of things. Uh, you know, I think it's really important to, uh, yeah, to, to to sort of, I'm trying to think of the best way to put this. I think it's really important to, to have fun uh, with what you're doing. I think that's something that really shows um, when, you know, to any customer who's walking into the store, to any customer who's following us on social media, um, who visits our website, is that there is an element of fun to the brand. And I think that's been one of our biggest advantages over, um, you know, over some much bigger players in in the same, uh, yeah, I hate people, when people say, like, the space, but in the <laughs> space that we're operating in, um, you know, is that there is this element of fun, like there is this element of being sort of tongue-in-cheek. Like, we take ourselves sort of seriously, but not not too seriously. And, yeah, I mean, maybe that sounds a little bit, like, cliche or a little bit, I don't know, kind of, um, I don't know. But I think that's that's just been um, one of the biggest things for us is just, like, that element of, of fun, that element of, like, even in the Instagram captions that we do or on the things that we have hanging in the, on the wall of the store, in every, like, little small way, um, that's got to come out, the sort of tongue-in-cheek nature of our brand. And, of course, everybody's brand is different, um, but, you know, everybody can, can afford to have, like, a little bit of fun. And the more that that shines through, I think, the better. Yeah. Definitely. And I couldn't agree more. Yeah, you can definitely see the fun in your blazers, for sure. Definitely. So, yeah, yeah, thanks for... Uh... Thanks for speaking to us, Jack. We really do appreciate it. So if our, uh, if our listeners want to learn more about the brand and, and yourself, uh, where, where should they head to? They can visit us online, rowingblazers.com, uh, on, on Instagram, rowingblazers. And then uh, 
Our store, actually, 161 Grand Street, which you visited, is now uh, is now being turned into a permanent uh, store. So, so we're very excited about that. That's, so that's awesome. 161 Grand Street in New York. Great stuff. If that's not an excuse for a trip to New York, I'm not sure what is. So, yeah, (laughs) thanks again, Jack. We really do appreciate it. And uh, we'll hopefully speak to you again soon. Thank you so much, Jack. Thanks so much. You're too kind. This has been fun. So that was an amazing chat with Jack. What do you think, Jake? Yeah, I I think it's very funny that we've just uh, spoken to Jack and previously we've spoken to Rob Smith as well. And and both people, both CEOs of, of successful retailers, both mentioned the same thing, which is authenticity. Uh, no one told them to say those things, but no. they both said it. And I think it's, you know, it's really fundamental and there's no tech or there's no store in the world which can which can really do that. That's within your strategy and within your vision. And, and that's driven from the CEO and the founder. And, and I think that's just intriguing that we've stumbled across that word from from both. And I think it, that's a lesson for all, all retailers, both sides of the pond, that, you know, that authenticity is something that, re- that customers can sniff out and they know a marketing campaign and they know an authentic brand when they see one. And I think that's exactly where um, the new generations are going. So they don't want more anymore the average items. They want authentic and personalized items. They want something no one has. And those two brands are doing exactly that. So thank you for listening to us today on the BGSS On Retail podcast. We really hope you enjoyed it. Subscribe on Apple and on Spotify and on TuneIn and obviously on the BGSS website as well.